So like I said, um, I want to preach to us from Hebrews in chapter 10, uh, verses 23. Um, and yes, I want to um, sort of give a, an introduction into the, the topic that um, I'm going to be uh, preaching to us today about. Um, I'm just looking around the room very quickly. I'm pretty familiar with everyone that that's that's here, you know, give or take one or two that might be visiting or I just haven't had the chance to speak to yet. But, you know, this is a church that I've been visiting um, for the best part of about 10 years now. Um, I'm very familiar, like I said, with a lot of people here. My best friends are in this church, my family, my in-laws. To be, I didn't actually know my mom was coming today, but my mum my is here today. Um, so I, I know a lot of people here. And obviously, the, the, the people that I'm preaching to, you, you're, I would hope, we're, we're quite familiar with friends. Um, you know me. Um, and so, of course, I've been given the, the duty today to, to preach to you people, um, to people online as well. Um, but the message that I'm preaching today is not just for you. It's, it's, it's not exclusive in any stretch of the imagination. Um, even though I'm standing before you, it's probably ideally a message I should be taking to the world. Um, is that because, you know, it's going to go down in, you know, in the annals of one of the greatest speeches in the world? No, of course not, not at all. Um, am I going to get kind of, you know, great adulation and everyone's going to chant my name once I've finished? No, I, I doubt it. In fact, they'll probably hate it. They'll hate me for the message and they'll hate the message that I'm preaching as well. So it's not because, you know, it's going to get worldwide acclamation or, you know, I'm going to get a big fanfare once I'm done. But it is a message that the world, us included here, needs to hear. It's vital. This is a message that must be heard by everybody. And this is a message on hope. This is a message about hope. The Christian profession of hope. This week alone has been a very trying one, of course, hasn't it? For, for many of us um, in, this, in, this, in this room, and I'm sure for many people listening online as well. It's been a very, very trying one. Um, even in the context of this year. Um, you know, just switching on your social media, your, your BBC News, your CNN, whatever kind of outlet you listen to, and you're, you're, just, you're just bombarded with the bad news after bad news after bad news. Of course, the country which many of us are from, where I'm from, I wasn't born there, but you know, my parents were I'm very well familiar, familiarized with Nigeria. And we see firsthand the, the, the suffering. Obviously, I mentioned it in my prayer as well. But we see firsthand the suffering that they're going through right now. The suffering that's being caused by corruption and terrible leaders, just a, a mismanagement of their leadership, the flag, just the flagrant abuse of their power. You know, you look at the, the pent-up frustration that this has caused in the, obviously in Nigeria, it's, it's predominantly the youths, but you know, adults alike as well. Um, frustration, tiredness. And we look at even the bloodshed that is caused as well. Just the, the just, just the, just the, it's, it's just enough to make you sigh and just to think, what's, what is actually going on in this, in this world? And then, of course, we, we don't just focus on Nigeria, but we look at the entire continent. Again, like I mentioned in my prayer, when you think of what's going on in Congo and, and Ghana and South Africa, and you're just like, this is, this is a lot to, to, to handle. This is a lot to try and take in. And our hearts, obviously, uh, are aching with them. We're, we're, we're crying with them. In some cases, we're crying for them. You know, and we just, it's, 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 it's a lot. 
some people are, are, are switching off social media. You know, it's, it's too much to try and take in. You know, when is it going to stop? And of course, the world is receiving this. At the same time, of course, it needs hope. This is, this is a message that the world needs to hear. This is a message that needs to be plastered all over social media. Hope. The world needs hope. Like I said, this week alone has showed us how much we need hope. Right? What about this year? I know I'm not the first person that's going to say what a, what a year 2020 has been. You know, thankfully, we're, we're coming to the end of this year. A, a New Year's service, Lord willing, will be coming. You know, what, what sermon that's going to be? You know, good luck to Cain when he's giving that sermon. How do you, what kind of sermon do you preach after the year, of 20, after the year like 2020 that we've had? Racial tensions at an all-time high. A global pandemic, you know, killing people in its hundreds of thousands. The uncertain tomorrow that is created, as if our tomorrow wasn't uncertain enough already, a pandemic just comes and throws everything you know, into absolute confusion. Protests left, right, and center in every country, every continent. Everyone is just unsettled. Everyone is at unrest. How is a message of hope not relevant to the world right now? They might not receive it. They might not want to hear it. They might not agree. Of course, I'm going to put forward in, as, as an argumentation that like this is a message that they must accept because it is the only hope that is worthwhile. But this is certainly a message that the world needs to hear right now. A message on hope. They certainly need to hear this message. There's nothing that you can do with the amount of trouble that we have in the world right now that will satisfy you. You can't switch off from it. Like I said, if it's your, your Instagram that all of this bad news is coming from, well, you can't necessarily switch off because the problem is still there. You put your Instagram back on or you install it back on your phone, the issues are still there. You can't even necessarily tackle it. By all means, do what you can to help. By all means, do what you can to support and to, to let people that are suffering know that you're, you know, you're suffering with them, you, you feel their pain and all that kind of stuff. Do what you can, but just do what you can with expectations, you know, and this is what I'm trying to say. Do what you can, but realize that you might not actually be able to solve the issue at hand. Do what you can to try and help, but realize that even in your helping and even in your doing what is obviously right, Expect pushback. Expect people not to agree with you. Expect disappointment because you might fail. Expect the problem that you're even trying to, to eradicate to multiply. Why? Because wickedness is bound up in the heart of man. As soon as you solve one problem, 10 more just spring up out of nowhere. It's almost like playing that whack-a-mole game. You're solving one, 10 more just erupts out of nowhere. That's the kind of world that we're living in. Doom and gloom. Expect that you're only human, so there's only so much that you can do. We felt that, 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 limit, that, that limited ability that we have, even for people that are in the same country as, um, sorry, that are in the country that we were born in or we're affiliated with. People are suffering in Nigeria, but we're in London. How much can we possibly do for them, even though we're grieving with them? But what can we actually do? You've seen in a lot of posts that I feel so powerless, I feel so helpless, I feel like I can't do a lot. I'm going to share this post, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like this tweet. But how much is it actually helping those that are suffering? Jesus Christ, of course, says the poor will always be with you. In a sense, they will always be suffering. They will always, in this world, there will always be something that needs solving, that needs curing, that needs eradicating. This is the world that we're in today. What do you do with this kind of world? What do you do with this kind of environment, in this kind of context? What do you do? Well, of course, let me invite you to consider the Christian hope. What gives the Christian hope in a kind of world like this? where everything just seems to be pear-shaped consistently, constantly. Let me tell you what the Christian has hope in. Let me invite you to have an insight into what keeps the Christian going 
in this kind of context, in this kind of world? In the midst of so much disappointment and so much heartache, what gives the Christian hope? Come, consider hope. Let me invite you to consider a hope that is unshakable, that is undeniable, a hope that is well-protected, a hope that is battle-tested, it's battle-ardent, it's had its, its blows. This is a hope that has been tested, that has been put through the fire, and it's still standing strong. Let me tell you to come and consider this hope. And so I read again for you a passage of scripture that we'll be going through at detail. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So, of course, we're going to go through that verse in a lot more detail, and I'll do it in three ways. Let's first of all examine what exactly is hope. Hope is a word that we use. We're obviously, we're English. Well, we speak English, a lot of us here. And it's a word that we're obviously quite familiar with. What does it mean? What is hope? And I'll try and uh, um, contrast, compare and contrast the hope that the world has. Not even just the world, the hope that we use in our everyday language and how that is different and set apart how that is different to the set-apart way that the Bible uses the word hope. It's very different. Same word, but very different. Okay? So we'll compare, compare and contrast how hope is used in the world and, and, in, and in our scriptures. Um, and then, of course, we'll look at how we're to treat, treat our hope. And basically, my points are in that verse. So secondly, we need to hold fast our hope without wavering. And number three, we hold fast our hope because God is faithful. He's our motivation. Okay? So what is hope? Hold this hope fast without wavering and hold it because God is faithful. So let me begin. What is hope? So like I said, in our English language, this is a word that we use very often. Hope, hope, what is hope? We use hope in very various ways, in several ways, different ways. For example, we might use hope to convey a desire of something good. So I hope that you get home safely. Or I hope that the church football team you know, wins a match sometime soon. You know, we convey goodwill, good desire for, for, for somebody or something or, or a friend or family. We just desire that something good comes their way. We can also not just um, use hope to desire something good, but we can use hope and, as it were, put hope in something. So we can have our hope in something that will bring us joy or bring us happiness. So, for example, my hope is that when I get married, I will be happy. You see, or I, I hope that when I get my first car or when I buy my first house or, or when I land my first job, you know, things will be a lot more comfortable, comfortable for me, you know, in whatever kind of context you're in. Your hope is in the house or your hope is in the car, as it were, bringing you that happiness. OK, so there's, intrinsic, there's, there's nothing wrong with having those hopes that my, my, my issue is not, you know, um, those hopes are, are, are pointless or those hopes are. are not substantial it's good to it's good to have those hopes it's good to be optimistic it's good to, to have like a positive outlook and to share that kind of um, optimism with people so if I wish you that you get home safely I hope you get home safely no one's gonna be like no how dare you say that don't you know that hope is fleeting no I, it's good for me to hope that you get home safely these things are good but the problem is is where they fall short the problem is is the gap it, 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 our hopes our desires the things that we have hopes in they have a huge gap, and that's the problem. They have a huge hole that needs filling. When we use the word hope, there is a certain emptiness that is present. It's not through any fault of our own, but it's still there. And that, that void, that gap, that emptiness is the element of certainty. 
It's the element of certainty. That's, that's what's missing when we use the word hope. I can hope that, yes, once you finish, you get home safely. But I can't guarantee that you will get, get home safely, even though I hope you do. I can, I can hope as, as much as I want to that you do well in a certain job interview. I might think that you're even the perfect candidate. I've seen your skills. I've seen how you address yourself. I've seen how you speak in public, whatever, is, whatever kind of skills are necessary. And I could think, you know what? For that job, you are the perfect candidate. And I hope you get that job when you go for your interview tomorrow. But I can't guarantee, as well-intentioned and as well-informed as my hope might be, I still can't guarantee someone else might just turn up and be better than you. You know, again, like I said, with our church football team, I can hope, I can be sympathetic. I can really, 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 really hope that we pick up a win sometime soon. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Even, with, even with, with the things that we want to be happy in, with the hope that we have in things, so like I said, in marriage, in, 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 in buying our first house, we can hope in those things. You can say that when I get married, yeah, I'll be happy. Will you? You, you, you don't know. You, you just don't know. There's no certainty in your hope. Yes, it's a good thing to hope that you will be happy when you get married, but you don't know if you will. We all really hope that you will find a man or woman of your dreams, and we all really hope that you'll live happily ever after, but we don't know. We just don't know. Usually when we speak of hope, we are always, by just automatically, we might not know it, we might not think of it actively, but we are conveying an element of uncertainty. I hope you feel better. You, you might or you might not, but I really do hope that you do nonetheless. We're never sure what's going to happen. And hope in this world, like I said at the beginning in my introduction, hope in this world is steeped, is drenched, is soaked in uncertainty. In a world where a pandemic can literally just come and bring a pause to the globe, not just one nation, to the entire world. Cause the entire world to stop. How many businesses, you know, that had hope this year, 2020, is going to be the year that, it's going to be the year that we take off? The pandemic came and stopped it. How many marriages were delayed or cancelled or even struggled during the pandemic when, when lockdown, etc., got, got really intense? How many holiday plans? How many, how many activities? How many things that you just wanted to get done that you hoped would get done in 2020 just got paused by the pandemic? Yeah, all of these things are good and all of these things had hope attached to them, but no certainty. No certainty. And again, look at the corruption that we have in our world. Again, harping back to, to what's happening in Africa and in Nigeria. Look at the corruption. Look at the, 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 the mismanagement from our leaders. Look at the wickedness and the evilness. How can you have hope? How can you have certainty, sorry, not hope, how can you have certainty in your hope in a world like this? Leaders who are ridiculously inept, who are, who are, who are killing their own people, killing their own civilians, and they're supposed to be leading honorably. They're supposed to be exercising a God-given duty, and they are killing their own people. How can you possibly have certainty in your hope? How can you hope to go to school, get a good education, and think, you know what, my, my future is going to be bright tomorrow? You don't know. You just don't know. That wonderful house you'd hoped you'd buy, once you finally get it, thieves break in and steal all your belongings. That business you hoped would take off and would be successful, but due to the corruption or the, the, the selfishness or the greed of another man or the dishonesty of another business person, dissolves, is taken away from you. 
that dream job you'd hoped to get for years now has a, 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 a busy body manager and he's a hard-nosed man or a hard-nosed woman and they're, 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 they're constantly in your affairs and all of a sudden this dream job that you had hoped for for many years is just a living nightmare every single day you go into the office. There is no certainty in the hope that we have. The best that you can do is live one foot in front of the other, merely surviving, enduring your day, whilst accepting in the back of your mind that despite your best intentions and your best efforts, your situation might never change because what we hope for in this world has no certainty. There is no certainty in our hope. Is this how the Bible speaks of hope? Absolutely, categorically not. The Bible speaks of hope and it says you should have the full assurance of hope straight out of the gate. Straight out of the gate, there is a clear contrast. Your hope outside in the world has no certainty. The hope that we speak of in the scriptures is full of assurance, is full of certainty. That what was lacking outside in the world is overflowing in the scriptures, is overflowing in the Christian's hope. Certainty is overflowing in the Christian's hope. What therefore is the Christian hope? What are we talking about when we consider the Christian's hope? Hebrews, verses, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 11 says, Have the full assurance of hope until the end. What is this hope? When the Bible speaks of hope, we're implored, we're, we're advised, we're commanded to wait expectantly, to rest in anticipation for something, to, to remain stationary, to be still, to wait while something is coming. This is what we're advised to do when, 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 when we're told to have hope. So what are believers hoping for? What are they waiting for? You know, you don't just sit at a bus stop for no reason. You don't sit at a bus stop and wait for nothing. You're at a bus stop because you're waiting for a bus. You know, you're at a train station because you're waiting for a train. We're told to wait for something. We're on this side of eternity to wait for something. What are we waiting for? Because this is what our hope is in. What is it? Believers are hoping for an event. We're hoping for an event. And this event has filled us with absolute confidence and assuredness when we consider hope. And this event, of course, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, before I dive headlong into talking about Jesus Christ and his second coming and, and, and what that is going to do for our, for, our, for our suffering and wipe away every tear, before I just run headlong into talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, there is something else that we also have hope in. And that is the person. That is a person, Jesus Christ. So we have our hope in an event. And we have our hope in Jesus Christ, the person, event, person, event, person. You cannot hope for the events without first having your hope in Jesus Christ. They come together as one package. You cannot bypass Jesus Christ and say, I'm just hoping for his, for his return. It doesn't make sense. Return of who? It's Jesus Christ. So you must have hope in him as a person. And you cannot just have hope in Jesus Christ, the person, without realizing that his story is not finished. Yes, Jesus Christ came into this world to die, but he's coming back, the event. We have hope in both. We have hope in the person, and we have hope in the event. So before we, we, we go into the talk about the event, let's talk about our hope in Jesus Christ. This is where the Christian finds his assuredness. This is where the Christian finds his confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in the event, his second coming. So let's talk about the person. Look at verse 19. 
sorry, to be fair, let's, we can even consider our, our, our particular passage, verse 23, and the context of Hebrews, and the, the context of chapter 10. And that is starting with Jesus Christ. So it says, let us have foolish, let us have hope, and let us hold on to it fast, let us have uh, no wavering. It's talking about our hope. Just go back a few verses, and we start seeing that we're talking about Jesus Christ. Why should we have hope? Because Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, verse 20 again, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. That particular verse, I'll go on to explain the context of chapter 10, but it's obviously talking about how Jesus Christ has gone into the Holy of Holies. He's gone before us. And now we are able to stand before God, like I was saying in my prayer um, um, at the beginning. We are able to stand before God because of Jesus Christ. He has given us hope. Look at verse 21 again. And since we have a great high priest, who do you think that great high priest is? It's not Melchizedek. It's not any of us. It's Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. And if you look at verse 19 carefully, you see at the beginning of verse 19, there is a therefore. And we know as Bible scholars, we know as, 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 as those who read our Bibles often, that when you come across a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? And the only way to answer that question is by going back, reading the verses that preceded it. And so if we look at verse, the chapter 10 now, let me just give you a very, very quick whistle tour of what exactly has been discussed in chapter 10. We're essentially looking at how Jesus Christ has made a one-time sacrifice for all. Okay? So look at verses 4. It's verses 4 of chapter 10. It is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. It is impossible. That's verses 4 of chapter 10. So what happens now? Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Verse 9. Jesus Christ says he's come on the scene and he's come to do the will of his father. And verse 10 tells us what that will is. Verse 10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Can you see that our hope starts with Jesus? Our hope starts with Jesus. We have this confident hope because of Jesus Christ. He has come and he's given his life once and for all. Priests, like I said, had to offer the sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again. Get another bull, sacrifice, give it unto the Lord. Get another bull, get sacrifice, get another goat, sacrifice, over, tirelessly, over and over and over again. And guess what? It didn't atone for anybody's sins. Not even children's sins. It doesn't atone for anybody. The, the blood of bulls and, and goats and all the sacrifices that you might want to amass in all of, all, of, all of the world doesn't atone for one person's sin. But Jesus Christ comes. Jesus Christ comes. And his precious blood is shed. And he atones for everybody and anybody that calls upon him. This is who we have hope in. This is, of course, explained in verse 12 and verse 14. Verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice... A single sacrifice. Christ is not dying over and over again. A single sacrifice is all he needed. He sat down at the right hand of God. Job done. Verse 14. For by a single sacrifice he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And look at the result in verse 17 and 18. And now we come closer to verse 19, 20, 20, and obviously our, our verse for today, verse 23. But look at verse 17 and 18. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Why? Because of Jesus Christ's one-time sacrifice. And verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. We don't need bulls. We don't need goats. We have Jesus Christ, and that is enough. And now, of course, we come to our, our immediate passage. 
And that's what that therefore is there for. The therefore is there because of Jesus Christ's one-time sacrifice for all. And so now, as a result of Christ's work, the Hebrew writer actually tells us to do three things. Hope is one of three things. Because of Jesus Christ's work, we must hope. That's the second thing. The first thing is that we must have in verse 22, we must draw near. So he tells us what we should have by saying, let us. So look at verse 22 to 24, and you see the three things that he's imploring us to have by the use of let us. Let us draw near with a heart full of assurance of faith. So because Jesus Christ has died, have faith. Again, secondly, let us, obviously our verse for today, hold fast the confession of our hope. Jesus Christ has died, have faith and have hope. And thirdly, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love. The Christian who hopes, who sees the work of Jesus Christ and his finished work for us on the cross, has faith, has hope. And that's, of course, what we're focusing on today, has hope and has love. Can you therefore see how intricately linked the event, Jesus Christ coming back, is to the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done? You cannot hope in one without the other. Let me give you an analogy. I can promise you an event next year that after the Olympics, in the summer, we're going to host a party here, and it's going to be because I'm going to bring back the Olympic gold in boxing. So I'm going to go back, I'm going to go out to wherever the Olympics are being held, I can't remember, so I can't remember where it is. Um, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to beat the world's best, the world's best in boxing. And I promise you that when I come back, we're having a party. Now, one look at me, you realize that that event is not happening. I've never boxed a day in my life. I don't know how to box, uh, but I'm quite a fan. But you know I'm not beating the world's best. And so because you don't believe in me as the person, you don't believe in that event. Can you see that they're intricately linked? If you believe that event is happening, it means because you believe in me. If you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, it's because you believe in Christ. Okay, you believe in Christ. So let's talk about the person. Let's talk about Jesus Christ, our hope. Look at how he's, how he's described in Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. If that wasn't clear enough for you, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Jesus Christ in you, our hope of glory. Jesus Christ is our hope. The person of Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ, who became man, the very Son of God who became man, who clothed himself in hum with, hum with humanity, who obeyed the law perfectly, obeyed the law and did the will of his Father perfectly, didn't leave one, one thing undone, didn't leave one thing unchecked, obeyed it perfectly. He died a real physical death, had a real physical resurrection, and exalted to the right hand God of Father having made atonement for sin. This is the person, Jesus Christ, that we have hope in. Does that sound uncertain to you? Does what he did sound uncertain to you? This is why the Christian is full of assurance. This is Jesus Christ, the person who saves souls. He saves people from their sins. Not might, not may, not if you do something. It's not a contingency. He saves souls. He saves people. This is the Jesus Christ who stands in the gap between sinful men and a holy God and reconciles. This is a Jesus Christ so full of love when he was here on earth during his earthly ministry, so full of love, so full of compassion. He came to seek 
and to save those that were lost. He came. This is a Jesus Christ who, every moment of his life, ministered and ministered and ministered some more. And he taught people and he taught people and he taught people some more. And he healed. I, I, I don't even need to talk about how many people he healed. The book of John says if we document everything that he, he, he did during his earthly ministry, this world will not be able to contain the amount of work that Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ said no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. And he did just that. And he did that not just for his friends, for enemies. Those who were there pulling his beard and spitting on him and, and, and disgracing him, he died for his enemies. And you think this is not a hope that has certainty in it when, when we implore to, 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 to hope in Jesus Christ. Of course the Christian has certainty in their hope. Of course they do. Hebrews, 9 verse, verse 9, Hebrews 6, sorry, verse 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters into the veil. Can you see what we're about to talk about right now? This is a hope that enters into the veil. It enters into the Holy of Holies. It goes beyond the curtain that told people to stay out. It told the high priest to stay out. But this is a hope that takes us past that curtain, into the veil, into the Holy of Holies. Why? Look at verse 20. Because Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. This is a hope sure and secure. You're not getting anything more secure than this because of Jesus Christ. The life he lived has won our forgiveness. The death he had has purchased our salvation. He allows us to come to the presence of God without being destroyed, even though that's what we exactly deserve. But we hope in Jesus Christ and we have a completely different outcome. Therefore, in uncertain times like this, like I labored on at the beginning, we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. The author and the finisher of our faith. For outside of him, there is no hope. There is no certainty. Look around you and be distressed. Look inside you and be depressed. But look at Jesus Christ, our hope, and be at rest. We trust in Jesus Christ. So that's the person. That's what we have hope in. That's the person. We hope in Jesus Christ. What about the event? What's the event? What are we looking beyond, as it were? Jesus Christ has come, and he's done all of this, and he's won it for us. We have this now. What are we looking to? What are we waiting for? What are we expectant, um, in expectation for? And that event, like I said, is the second coming of Jesus Christ, is the return of our Savior King, Jesus Christ. He is coming back. The job is not done. He's coming back. There is work still to be done by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming back. And this is what fills the Christian with a certain, sure hope. He is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. Titus 2, verse 11 to, to, sorry, Titus 2, verse 11 to verse 13. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation for all people. Just look at the link again. The grace of God has appeared. We're talking about the work and person of Jesus Christ. Bringing salvation to all people. Verse 12, obviously talking about our, our practical, what, what happens now practically, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live uh, self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. And what is our blessed hope? The appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the Christian. That is what the Christian is looking for. That is what the Christian is looking to. Not just merely a house. Not just merely a husband or a wife or having children or a great big family or a successful business or even the eradication of suffering in this world in and of itself. That is not what a Christian is hoping for because we know already that certainty is not attached to any of that. The Christian is hoping for the return, the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian hope is a living hope. It is a looking hope. We're looking for something. We're waiting. We're expecting something. We're anxiously waiting. I read for us the book of Romans, didn't I, in chapter 8. We're groaning. Creation is groaning. So are we. We are waiting. We are eagerly. And it says with, with, with pains that are similar to childbirth, the pains that um, a mother feels when they're giving, child, um, giving in, in labor, sorry. That's the kind of pain. That's the kind of anticipation that we have. We are groaning for Christ to return. That is our expectation. The long-awaited adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. That's what the believer is, is hoping for. Why? Because the return of our Savior Jesus Christ will usher in everything that we need and more in abundance. The return of Jesus Christ is what marks an end to all of suffering. So like I said, you might want to do what you can to help on this side of eternity. I'm not knocking you for doing this. But just know, like I said at the beginning, it's not going to solve it. The problems that you're giving yourself to and the problems that you're, 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 you're working hard to, to, to obliterate, the poverty that we have and the, 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 the child trafficking and just the heinous wickedness that we have in this world. Just realize that your efforts, they might make a difference, they might make some people's lives better, but it's not eradicating it. That's not your work. That's the work of Jesus Christ when he comes back. Hope and anticipate that Jesus Christ will end suffering. That's what we look to. He will end the suffering that makes the news, the, 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 the ones that grips the nations, the one that, that you know, causes wars, and he will end all of that suffering. And he will end the suffering that happens behind closed doors, the ones that we don't even know about, the one that you suffered this morning and that you just hidden behind a, a brave, smiling face. He's coming to end that suffering. He's coming to wipe away that tear, that particular tear you cried that day when nobody saw. He's coming to heal that heartbreak you had that nobody knew about. Jesus Christ is coming to deal with that suffering. And that's the hope that we have. His return will enter, will usher in perfect justice. Forget the rubbish that we're seeing on, on this side of eternity. Jesus Christ is coming to do away with all of that. And he's coming to reign supreme. And it will be like a, 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 ruler, a rulership that we've never seen. That our minds can't even begin to contemplate. He will rule perfectly. He will rule justly. He will rule and there will be no bias, no corruption, not even a, 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 a whisper. You can't even bring a, sh a, 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 a sense of an accusation against how Jesus Christ would rule. That is what the believer is hoping for. That's what we're looking to. That is what fills us with hope. He will wipe away every tear, bring vindication for every persecuted believer. The one who is ridiculed at work for what we believe. The one who is called um, a bigot 
because we don't believe that homosexuality is right, because we don't believe that we have the right to, 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 to determine our own gender based on how we feel. The ones who are marginalized in work, who can't really speak freely, even though we're supposed to be in a free country. He's coming to bring vindication for all of us that suffer because we bear the name of Jesus Christ. That is what we are looking to. That is our hope. He will usher in a period where our faith will become sight. We will see our Savior face to face. We will worship him as he is. That is our hope. The second coming is the event that believers are hoping for and waiting for. This is not a mere optimistic hoping, I hope Jesus Christ comes back one day. We know he's coming back. We know he's coming back. And why do we know that? Because it is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. So you can see almost in a sense how Jesus Christ coming and saving us is the deposit that we needed for his return. It's, 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 it's me promising you 250K and then I give you 250,000 pounds. And then as a deposit of my goodwill, I say, you know what? Here's 100K. So you know that I'm going to give you back the rest. God has said Jesus Christ is coming back. How do I know? Because he came the first time. Our deposit is in Jesus Christ, hoping in him. And if we believe that he has saved us, we ultimately believe that he's coming back. It's one work. You can't just believe in Jesus Christ saving us and still be unsure about if he's coming back. That just shows that you don't believe in the work that he's done in the first place of saving you. It is one continual work. He saves us and he's coming back to redeem his people. He saved us and he's coming back to get his people. He's, he saved us and he's coming back to rule over his people. That is what fills us with hope the person of Jesus Christ, and the event that he's coming back. And so to summarize, the Christian hope is not merely, a, 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 like I said, an optimistic, he might come back tomorrow, just stay strong until he does. We're not sure if he, does, if he is. He's coming back because he said he's coming back. The gospel story is grace. And this is a grace that we've tasted of. This is a grace that we've experienced. This is a grace that we've put on. This is a grace that we experience daily because our sins are forgiven. The gospel story is grace, then glory. There's no glory without grace. We've tasted grace, so we know he's coming back in glory. Our hope is based on the promise of a non-lying God. It is impossible for him to lie. God cannot lie. And that is what, our, that is what the promise, that's who the promise is from. This is based on the promise of a non-lying God who has already sent his son to die and purchased a full salvation for us. And he has also promised that he will come again. The Christian has a full assurance of hope. This is a hope that is overflowing. So like I said, come and taste of this hope that we have. Don't linger outside in the world where there's hope with no certainty. There's hope that conveys goodwill. Nice, that's, that's, that's good for you. There's hope that conveys that I care for you. There's hope that conveys that I love you, that I respect you, that I want what's best for you. But it's not certain. Please, don't just stay outside there with such a fading hope. There's nothing certain about it. I can't guarantee your safety. I cannot guarantee that you'll come out of this situation that you're in. But what I can guarantee is that if you come to Jesus Christ, and if you hope in him, you will taste of grace, and you will look forward to his coming back, where everything that you're suffering out there in the world with will be done away with. That is the hope that fills us with assurance. So that's the Christian hope. That is the Christian hope. 
And so now what do we do with this hope? We come back to our particular passage in verse 23. What do we do with this hope? How does a Christian treat and handle this particular hope? Point two. Oh, three. Sorry, we're nearly done. Point two. The Christian is to hold fast. Hold fast. Let me read the verse for you. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold it. The Christian has to hold it. Embrace it. This is a hope that we have to embrace. This is a a hope that we have to hold, take a hold of, restrain it. Make sure you hold it down so it doesn't fry off again. You have to hold it down. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Don't let it go. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're watching a fight and trying to hold someone back, that's the kind of force that you need to hold your hope with. You hold them back. You pull them aside. You restrain them. If you see a child that's running into the road, don't just give it your pinky finger. Grab the child. That's what we need to do with our, with our hope. Take a hold of it. Carry it. Embrace it. Bring it close to you. Hold fast the confession of your hope. Bring it under control. Master it. Subdue it, in a sense. Bring it down so it's, it's, so, it's, so it's in you. Hold fast the confession of this hope that we have as Christians. You really need to believe it. This is a hope that has, that has introduced us to the gospel, Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners. This is a hope that has introduced us to this same Jesus Christ coming to deliver us when he comes back. This is something you need to believe. This is something you need to revise. This is something you need to treasure. This is how you hold fast. You treasure it. This embracing doesn't come naturally to us. I don't think it's easy. It's not natural, especially when we're faced with so much um, going wrong in the world. It's not natural for you to look to Jesus Christ and to be like, you know what, none of this is phasing me. I'm going to just hold fast. You have to actively remind yourself to hold fast. You can get carried away by the onslaught of bad news after bad news after bad news. Hold fast. The bad news is, is like a current. It will take you away if you're not careful. Stand firm like a tree. Stand firm upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Hold fast this confession of hope that we have. Again, we need to hold fast and embrace this this hope against opposition and temptation. Not just in the context of 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 a disappointing world, but against those who are actively trying to accuse us that we don't have a worth for our hope. We need to defend it. So we're not just cherishing it now. We need to defend it. Turn our back on the world, as it were, whilst we're protecting this treasure that we have, this hope that we have. Protect this hope because it is facing daily opposition and daily attacks. If they tempted our Lord Jesus Christ, you think they're not going to tempt you? Let's be real. We will suffer temptation as a result of the hope that we have. You have an enemy of your soul. Everything in one sense, is destined, is, 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 put, is, is shaped for us to fail. It's shaped for us to, to lose this hope. We have an enemy of our soul whose main desire is to, to snatch this hope away from us. We have a world full of temptation and those who will accuse us to our face and tell us that this is not worth our hope. And if that wasn't bad enough, we have ourselves, our weak flesh. The hymn writer says, the arm of flesh will fail you, but we must hold fast. We must still, knowing this, Take on the command that we have from Paul and fight the fight of faith. We must still run well. We must still persevere. We must embrace it and cherish it. So we embrace it and, 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 and protect it. We embrace it and, uh, um, and, 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 and as it were, cherish it in, the, in this failing world. We, we, we embrace it and we cherish it. 
we see it as treasure. Is the gospel precious to you? Is Jesus Christ precious to you? Is the thought of his return precious to you? Is it the most dearest and most precious treasure that you have? Answer this question with me. If God was to strip away everything from you, from me right now, and left me with only the gospel, would I be content? Would I still embrace it? If all that I have left, with the many things that God has blessed us with, if all I have left is the gospel, the thought that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and that one day he's coming back, would I still embrace that message? What will your response be if, Jesus, if, if God takes away that child from you? Or what will your response be if you never get married, as much as you really want to get married, as much as you're really hoping that the man or woman of your dream comes and, and you, live, you live happily ever after? If that never happens, what will your response be? If your business never actually succeeds and takes off the ground and, and is actually, you know, never the, it's not the next big thing that you hope for it to be, what will your response be? Or even if it does come and it fails, what will your response be? Will you still hold fast to the faith, to, to the hope that you have? Is the hope being cherished by you? Are you holding fast? Show me a man that cannot answer this question with yes. Show me a man that cannot lose it all and still say, I will embrace this hope. And I will show you a man who has a weak hope, who doesn't believe at all. You must hold fast, otherwise you're holding nothing. Hold fast. Not only are we to hold fast, we're to hold fast without wavering. In that very same verse, in verse 23, it says, Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering, without doubting, without questioning yourself. Without wondering if this is is this actually is this actually worthwhile my, my time and effort. Once you put your hand to the plow, you cannot look back. You put your hand to the plow and you've set your face like a flint and you follow after Jesus Christ and the hope that He's given to you. We cannot embrace this hope with wavering, with doubting, with disputing, with dilly dallying, with sin and temptation and, and you know uh, and, and flirting with, with, with X Y Z X Y Z sins. We renounce all of that and we follow after Jesus Christ because that is where our hope is in. Remember Lot's wife. You don't have time to look back. There's nothing worthwhile in looking back at an old man that has now died, that has now been united with Jesus Christ when he died. You look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. You don't look at the man that Jesus Christ has died for. You look to the redemption of your body that Jesus Christ coming back will usher in. That's what, we, that's what we do without wavering. Remember, this world, this world is under judgment. So don't spend your time flirting, having one foot in, one foot out, one foot in, 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 in my hope, one in, in, in my hope in Jesus Christ, the next foot in this world. This world is going to give way under your feet one day. This world is coming under judgment. This world is going to be destroyed. You have no business dilly-dallying in this world. Follow after Jesus Christ. Let your hope be held without wavering. It's the lukewarm believer that is spat out of the mouth of God. Be one that is filled with hope. Hold fast the confession of our hope. And again, let, let, let me bring a close to, to, to that particular verse. We hold fast without wavering to the confession of our hope. Why? Because God is faithful. Point three. Because God is faithful. 
He who promised is faithful. He who promised will keep us to the very end. Praise God. He who promised is faithful. What is the motivation of our duty to maintain hope? Our motivation is because God is faithful. Because he promised. This is what motivates us. So when we, as, 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 those, as those who still unfortunately fall into sin, when we tire ourselves out, when we fail, even though we promised that we wouldn't, when we find ourselves not being as good as we should, we're motivated, we start again, we pick ourselves up, we brush off the dust because he is faithful. Because he has promised. He has made great and precious promises to the believer and he is faithful to complete them. He's a God that's true to his word. He can be trusted to complete the good work he began. Remember, like I said, this story of salvation is not ultimately completed. We get the consummation of our salvation when Jesus Christ returns. And he will keep us to that very day when Christ returns. God is faithful, not because he's been necessarily tried and tested and, you know, he's been put through the court of, of faithfulness and, and he came out, uh, came out innocent. He's not even faithful just because he hasn't failed yet, you know, because he's, he's 100% until a certain event. He's 100% so far. He's faithful because he's faithful. He's faithful because it is impossible for him to be otherwise. He is faithful because he cannot lie. Hold fast to the confession of your faith because he is faithful. We be faithful because he holds us. Let that motivate you. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. This is our faithful God. Be motivated to hold fast to your confession because he is faithfulness, because he is faithful. So how can I conclude? Let me conclude and bring our service to a close this morning. Do you have hope is, is the clear question that I want to posit to you this morning. Do you have hope? Where does your hope lie? Is it in the first camp where, yes, the hope might be nice, the hope might convey a goodwill, a good gesture, it might convey something of a nice desire for you, but it doesn't have certainty, but it lacks the all-important ingredient to actually make things change in the first place? Is that where your hope is? Or is your hope where the, the, the Bible points us to? Is your hope in Jesus Christ? Is your hope in his return? Is your hope keeping you strong in the faith and persevering in the faith because you know that this, this Jesus Christ who saved you is coming back for you. You know that this Jesus Christ who set you apart is coming back to bring you to him. You know this Jesus Christ that made you a new creation is coming to make the entire world brand new. You know that his work is not finished. Do you hope in him? Is that where your strength comes from? In a world that is quickly decaying, spiraling out of control in ways that we have not seen before, is where your hope is. Are you hoping in Jesus Christ? Are you hoping in his return? How do you know that you have this hope? If you say, yes, I have this hope, how do you know? Let me get a bit deeper. How do you know you have this hope? And I'll ask you three more questions to try and un uncover, you know, where, where our hope exactly is. What does it mean to be hoping? What does it mean? It means to be waiting, of course. But you're not just waiting, expecting his return. Because, listen, the devil himself knows, knows that Christ is coming. So there has to be a difference in your waiting. Yes, we know that Christ is coming back. So, so what, what does that actually mean? The devil knows that Christ is waiting. He's not, he's not filled with hope. 
He's not filled with that uh, precious hope, is he? Of course not. So what marks, what makes us different? I'm not even necessarily saying that you have to think about it all the time, but what does our waiting look like? Three questions. Does your mind frequently return to the reality of his coming? Do you, do you think about the reality of Jesus Christ coming back one day? Do you think about it? Does it actually cross your mind? Now, I'm not saying it has to be a dominating thought, you know, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go back again, to, to, to you go back to your bed again, Christ is coming back, Christ is coming back, Christ is coming back. That's not what I'm saying, of course. But do you think about it at all? Is the first time this year that you thought about, the Christ, that, about Christ coming back this morning? Because I've just spent the last hour or so talking about Christ coming back. Is that the first time you've actually thought about Christ coming back? Even though that is supposed to be the very bedrock of your hope. Do you think about Christ coming back? And when your does, uh, when 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 your mind does come back to Christ coming back, if and when your heart and your mind does come back and think of Christ's return, second question: Do you want it? Do you want Him to come back? Do you actually want Christ to come back? What what does your heart feel when you think of Christ coming back? Are you filled with expect? Are you filled with with, with gladness and, and and great anticipation and hope? Or are you maybe filled with a bit of dread? Two forms of dread. A guilt that, you know what, I'm not ready for Christ to come back, you know. I'm not ready to see the judge of all the world just yet. Are you filled with fear and trepidation? Christ is coming back, and when you think of it, it causes you to cower because you know that your sins will expose you. If you do and you're hearing my voice, why are you dilly-dallying? If you know that he's coming back, why are you playing with sin? What is your reward? What are you going to gain from it? You know he's coming back. It's like someone saying that you have four minutes to live unless you take this particular medicine that will cure you. And you spend three minutes and 55 seconds playing. Who does that? You spend spend three minutes and 55 seconds sleeping. Who does that? You spend three minutes and 55 seconds arguing with the person who told you to take the medicine that will save your life. Who does that? Taste of God and see that he is good. If you know that he's coming back, trust him. Hope in him. So that's the first thing. If you know that Christ is coming back and you're filled with hope, repent and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. But secondly, if you, if you know that Jesus Christ is coming back and you're not necessarily filled with guilt or trepidation, but you're, not just ready, you're just not ready because there's certain things that you want to happen first. So I'm talking to the believers now. Oh Christ, I know you're coming back, but just... I, I kind of need to get married first. I, I, I kind of need to, to see the, 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 the conclusion of this effort, of, of, of this time, of the, of, this, uh, um, of the resources that I'm pouring into this business. Don't come back just yet because I kind of need to see my family get off its, off its feet first. Kind of need to see my grandkids first. What's your hope in? You can't hope in Jesus Christ coming back and still want the uncertainty of this world. You must be filled with joy. You must be filled with with great anticipation for Jesus Christ returning. And that comes thirdly, that, comes, that brings me nicely on to, 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 to the third test. So the third test is, do you think of Christ, the first test, do you think of Christ coming back? Second test, do you want him to come back? Third test, do you pray for him to come back? Do you know what Maranatha means? I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that to shame you. I'm going to explain it to you right now. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come. Do you pray like that? Do you, do, do, you, do you know what that means in your life? Do you walk in that, in that pattern of life? 
I'm not necessarily saying, do you wake up and say, Lord, marry enough in your prayer. I'm saying, does your life reflect the posture of a person that is expecting their Savior to come back? Does your life scream Maranatha? Do you groan with creation for Christ to come back and redeem our bodies in this world? Do you want Christ to come back? It doesn't have to be every day. You don't have to pray every day for it. I'm not saying now go home and pray five days out of your week about Maranatha and Christ coming back. Do you want Christ to come back? Do you pray? Do you desire? Or are you comfortable? Are you happy with your uncertain hope? Are you happy with, the, with, with, with how things are in this world? Of course we're not. So taste and see that God is good. And rest in the hope that he gives us. The full assurance of hope that he gives us. Amen.